A big hello and welcome to episode two of the Sanyu Sisters podcast. I'm Amber. And I'm Tista. So Tista, this week we move into our second week of lockdown here in the UK. And I think we definitely need some positivity. So tell us what's been the highlight of your week so far. Well, Amber, after what's been an extremely sedentary few months, I finally got myself in gear and got back into running. And this morning managed a whole five kilometres. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's amazing. Well done. Oh, thank you. Do you think this makes me a runner now? <laughs> I would say so, yep. Yeah, no, I I mean, I think I'm still quite scarred to join Strava or the social media platform of my 30s, as my husband calls it, but uh, definitely better than the end of the road distance that I was managing before. So uh, yeah, I suppose that's good. Uh, anyway, how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, haven't been out running. In fact, quite the opposite. We had some birthday plans to go away this weekend in my household, but unfortunately they were cancelled because of the lockdown. So we had to revert to plan B, which involved a lot of cake and cheese boards and cocktails. But we had an awful lot of fun. So that was it. Yeah, we had a great time. Oh, I'm sorry that the plans have got cancelled, but it does sound like you've had a fantastic time and all that cheese. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we have both been completely overwhelmed by all the love that we've received this week across the globe, really, for our podcast release. And we had our very first episode last week with David McCunya. So thank you all so much for your incredible support, kind words and encouragement. We're thrilled that you're enjoying tuning in as much as we are making the series um, and we're excited to share some of your reflections and comments that you've been sending in. So the first thing was David's term Zoomization, which was really quite a hit over social media this week. And on our poll, we had 83% of you telling us that this had helped you collaborate better with colleagues. And it was really fascinating to learn how this has been useful outside research spheres as well. We had Kevin in London describing virtual collaboration as a brilliant opportunity in business for greater diversity of thought, enabling more voices and better decision making. Absolutely. And several of you, including Alina from Australia, have applauded David's optimism of how the COVID pandemic has actually been an opportunity for research to progress. Claire in Brighton and Sean in Norwich were particularly struck by the benefits of decolonizing global health research and increasing political willpower to invest in health. And Laura in Liverpool and Kerry in London highlighted how important COVID has been to challenge researchers to respond to the greatest robbery of 2020, as Laura put it, and adapt to focus on areas with the most need. And our favourite comment comes from perhaps our youngest listener, and this is Tista's three-year-old nephew, who begged his mum to listen to the friendly man one more time on the way back from the park. So, Zachary, a big shout out to you for all your support. <laughs> um, please do keep those comments rolling in on our Twitter, at Sanyu Sisters, and Instagram, at Sanyu Sisters Podcast, as we absolutely love hearing from you. This week, Amber's been chatting with Hannah McCauley, about how COVID-19 has impacted the approval and governance processes for research projects. So let's hear what Hannah has to say. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sandy Sisters podcast, sidestepping COVID, keeping research on track. 
And we are thrilled to have Hannah McCauley with us this week. And Hannah is a dual trained midwife and nurse who has worked in the NHS for the last 14 years. And she's also got a wealth of experience within global maternal health. She volunteered in Uganda for two years with VSO as a maternal health specialist, and then has taken up a post following on from her master's degree in Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine, and has been working on various implementation projects alongside doing her PhD. So we're super excited to have you, Hannah, and can't wait to hear a bit about your experiences and your projects that you've been doing during COVID. Great, thanks so much for the introduction, Amber. Absolutely delighted to be here. Thanks to yourself and Tista for inviting me. I think it's a great forum to be able to just discuss, yeah, what's happening currently with research and just to be able to share experiences. So thanks a lot. First really thing we want to get onto is thinking about sponsorship and ethics around this whole topic of approvals and how they've been possibly disrupted uh, with COVID and how we can learn from each other, really, and people's different experiences uh, to navigate our way through this. So it'd be great, Hannah, if you could maybe share with us a little bit about your experiences of the sponsorship and ethics approval through the projects you've been doing and whether sort of because of COVID how that's really looked for you. Yeah absolutely so um, the project that I'm PI on currently is a capacity building project in Togo which is in West Africa. We are doing capacity building with healthcare providers who work in antenatal and postnatal care and we've been implementing that training over the past year and alongside that we're doing some operational research so we got approval for the training way back nearly a year ago so we knew a little bit about the process in country in Togo how long would that take and normally that would take a couple of months and also um, in LSTM normally it takes a month once you have put your application into the ethics committee they normally come back to you within a month so we had those experiences so whenever it came now to the time of doing the um, operational research so we're doing some qualitative research and also some quantitative um, studies around care during and after pregnancy related to the work we're doing we thought okay we've got all our protocols written we've got loads of time here let's ensure that we get it in in time and of course then COVID-19 in March began to affect all of us and the work as well so we plan to submit our ethics application for the operational research in June so we had handed it in both in Liverpool LSTM and also in Togo so you can do that concurrently so we're able to to do both um, pieces together because if you're waiting for approval from your own institution and then you start in Togo that's going to take longer that's nearly mm-hmm. you know three months so we did them concurrently but you need to have the final approval from LSTM before you can commence the data collection so we put it in expecting after a month we'd get approval back it took nearly six to seven weeks and that's because there's a lot of studies going on with regards to COVID in LSTM so they take precedent and they were getting put through the ethical approval process a not quicker but you know they were taking precedence so it took us longer to actually get comments back from the application but whenever we got the comments back they were so detailed and of such high quality that it was great because it was so applicable to the situation on the ground obviously my colleagues within the ethical committee had the knowledge from other studies what was happening in different countries and were able then to feed that back into the work that we had planned so we managed to get approval back after seven weeks the initial approval 
Then we had to make comments and amendments to our study protocols, to our plan. And overall, I would say the whole process took about two and a half months to get the final approval from LSTM. I think normally it would take maybe seven weeks or six weeks um, by the time you respond. But because of COVID, it was extended. But thankfully, we still got in time and we're undertaking data collection at the minute within Togo. Again, in country ethics uh, with our colleagues in Togo, because we had a really good partner um, who we've worked with for quite a long time, they've got great um, connections with our colleagues in the ethical committee board in Togo. So he was able to chase up with them uh, every day. They normally don't meet until every two months, but because of COVID and because of studies that were happening, they were meeting every month. So we were able to to ensure that we kept on top of that and got our approval from them as well. So the long and short of it is it did take longer, but because we applied earlier and were able to use our experiences from before, we got it on time to commence our data collection. Brilliant. I think that's really interesting what you're saying there about them actually meeting more regularly, but that is to meet the demand of actually more and more studies being done. And as you say, mm-hmm. not necessarily being done more quickly, but actually that there's a need there for things to be being reviewed and the process to be sped up. And as you say, it did take longer than expected, as everything does in the world of mm-hmm. research. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned about sort of responding to comments and things like that you you also said about the committee sort of having had a bit more experience with other COVID related trials and things so with regards to having Mm -hmm. to edit or change your protocols was there quite a lot that you had to think about to make it relatable to COVID or to account for that and and was there scope within the work that you're doing to make that Mm -hmm. possible? So, So what they had developed within LSTM was a study risk assessment specifically for COVID-19. So we got all of our routine comments back about related to ethical approval, some about sample size, and and they're all so helpful as an early career researcher to be able to have that wealth of knowledge from ethical committees to say, have you thought about this? And within the ethical committee in LSTM, it's not just researchers who are on it, there's a whole variety of people. So you've got statisticians, you've got people who work in administration as well so it's supposed to be a whole uh, mixture of people and that really blends into having good quality comments coming back again so alongside all of those technical and ethical Mm -hmm. inputs then they had actually developed a study risk assessment specific to COVID-19 so that looks at specific risks for example if you're doing a study in a hospital what about general transmission of COVID-19 and the sort of mitigation measures you would use would be regular and thorough hand washing, provision of hand sanitizer gel, and wearing PPE as necessary. So these were some of the things that we had to look into our study and say, okay, do we fit into this category? What can we do to mitigate that? So the two studies that this did impact was we wanted to do a questionnaire with women and it was to be self-completed. So it's about respect for maternity care. So often you'll find with questionnaires like that, if you give it to women and it's it's administered by a healthcare provider, there's a bias really in the responses. So we wanted it to be self-completed. But whenever we got the the information back, they were like, oh, you know, there could be difficulty with transmission from the paper. What about um, using different pens? There was just lots of different things that came through there. And what if women had questions? Who could they go to speak to? Would that increase transmission? So we changed our protocol then to ensure that we had a private separate room that we that the women knew that the data collector was actually not staffed within the facility. So that took away that bias of response. 
and then that they completed it. So women didn't have to handle the paper. They didn't have to handle the pens. They didn't have to move around the study, you know, around the area to ask questions. They were brought into a secure area, given masks. They were given hand sanitizer gel. So all of that was very important because, uh, you know, it helped us to ensure that, yes, we were protecting the women and our researchers as well. But there's a there's a better quality of research coming out there because you're reducing that bias. Everybody's getting the same information as well. So I thought that was very important. The other type of things that came through were informed consent procedure, virus can live on the paper. So there was lots of, of nitty gritty that we really had to discuss between ourselves here in Liverpool, but also with the team in Togo. So what was the situation on the ground? Because we were here in the midst of everything, we were in lockdown. So you couldn't go out, you could only go out once a day for a walk. So really we were in lockdown. But on talking with our colleagues in country, the situation was quite different in Togo. So we had to help them understand why we were doing this, why it was important, because in some of their settings as well, the transmission rates weren't so high. So things were continuing more as normal. But we wanted to ensure we were not putting anybody in any type of additional risk by undertaking our research. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Ensuring that people are safe, our researchers are safe, our participants are safe as well, and that the research that we're doing in a time of a global pandemic actually is relevant and is important because a lot of studies have been stopped. But because we were able to respond to the risk assessments, then we were able to be assured that actually we were not going to cause any harm and that the results that were coming out were going to improve care for women in the setting of Togo. So I have to say, having the study risk assessment pre-made, sending that out really helped us get down into the nitty gritty of what risk mitigation we had to undertake. I think that's one of the things, isn't it? In retrospect, is very helpful. Probably at the time when you're sitting going through it mm-hmm. with a t- fine tooth comb, you're like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness mm-hmm. me. Um, and you are really having to think about every eventuality and what about this and what about that? And ultimately, yeah, what level of risk are we willing mm-hmm. to take? Because we can't mitigate absolutely mm-hmm. everything. But yeah, when we're involving um, vulnerable women as well, especially if it's around the time of pregnancy, isn't it? And with COVID, we need to do everything that we can to try and minimise that. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's really helpful to just remind ourselves of actually the the value of those like high quality mm-hmm. comments coming back mm-hmm. um, from the ethics committee mm-hmm. who actually have had probably multiple trials all put into them, probably with similar things coming through every time. And I think what you said there about when we were in lockdown, sort of in the spring and into the early summer, actually a lot of Af- the African continent, it wasn't so bad then. Mm-hmm. And there, that trying to liaise with in-country colleagues is really important. Yeah. And I think one of the one of the things about this whole process is normally if there's data collection uh, as a PhD student or really as a PI or someone who is invested in it, we would normally travel to the countries to be able to support colleagues to to quality assure what was happening as well so not being able to travel and actually uh, working closely with the partners there um, we were working with Dr Fakusa who again I have worked with since I came in 2017 so having that understanding that strength of relationship I've been out there numerous times really helped me to say listen our team in country has totally got the capacity if we just give them the tools that they need, they'll be able to administer this project. And that's what's happening. So I do think there has been a strengthening of capacity and um, being able to hand over the ownership to our colleagues and country as well. Instead of, you know, as long as you provide oversight, they're able to deliver that. And they understand the setting on the ground as well. And that's something 
that was so beneficial to us because we had gone through everything with the fine tooth comb. We had put in all these mitigation circumstances and that was to ensure, okay, we knew what we were doing. Um, the other study that we that we were undertaking was qualitative, so focus group discussions and key informant interviews. Mm-hmm. So we had to think, okay, we need to do this face-to-face. We need to use Zoom. We, we need to use another online platform for that to happen. And really for myself as a researcher, I need to be involved in that process. So being able to be link in with the videos, you know, all those all those nuances of qualitative research. It's important for me to take part in that, not just to read through the transcripts. So the colleagues in country yeah. were able to to understand that and link me in with that. But whenever it came to actually administering the the key informant interviews, they were able to go face to face. They didn't have to do it via an online platform. And so how that process works is Obviously, we we have got, you know, from this is what we our mitigation is. But whenever it goes into what's happening on the ground, that is from the Ministry of Health. So they, the Ethics Committee in Togo can say, OK, this is a situation on the ground. The directive from the Permanent Secretary of the Ministry of Health is like, you can travel. And this is a situation what's happening. So they were able to travel to different regions in Togo and administer that face to face. And then I was able to link in and do quality assurance with them. And that was different because we were still, again, we're still advised to work from home, limit our time. So it's it's important to have colleagues in the country who are able to take that forward, work closely with the ministry, and then make it setting and context specific Brilliant. as well. And did they do the, so that was the key informant interviews, did they do the focus mm. groups in person or did they do them via online platforms? So again, they did the focus group discussions in person, but how they did that was, again, mitigation so ensuring it was a wide open space, well ventilated, everybody had PPE on and they only they reduced the numbers as well. So, you know, normally a focus group discussion should have up to eight. They ensured that it was four to reduce that any transmission or any effect of transmission. And they were healthcare providers who were already working on that day. So they weren't bringing them in from home or anything like that. So they were able to work it and ensure that they were still protecting colleagues, that that our participants were happy with all the mitigating factors they'd put in there as well. And whenever you think about the cost implication, really providing hand sanitizer, providing PPE, all of that's not a big cost, but it actually really reduces the transmission of COVID-19. So a um, very effective way to actually reduce that transmission while being undertaken high quality research. I think that's really interesting what you're saying Hannah with regards to cost as well and there will be cost implications from making these small adjustments even though as you say PPE is cheap you know depending on people's budgets and actually depending on the scope of the work that they're doing they will have to be factored in and it's great to hear in your case that that wasn't too much of a burden but I guess it would be interesting to hear from other listeners what their experiences have been with that and has it really skewed things for them from the work that they're doing just moving on from that and thinking about protocol adjustments Mm -hmm. because of covid i'd love to know was there any adjustments that you and the team made not because of covid and you've had to do it but using covid as an opportunity to explore the effect of a pandemic on the work that you're already doing yeah so obviously we had developed the protocols beforehand before a the covid19 became a global pandemic 
But we thought, okay, this is a unique opportunity. This is actually whenever, what effect does this have on maternal health care in Togo specifically? So we amended our protocol to add in questions specifically on effect of COVID-19. So really it was opportunistic. We were already going ahead with the research. And whenever we um, shared our protocols with partners in country, our academic partner, the University of Lome, they were interested in that as well. So they wanted to know what impact is this having on the ground um, and also, you know, what 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 can they do? How what uh, do the healthcare providers feel needs to be in place? So having that live feedback and being able to get something now that will impact on uh, care moving forward because we're still in the midst of everything uh, was something that we thought would be opportunistic. The data collection is ongoing and we're beginning to get some of that feedback back. And it's it's fantastic to see actually there are small changes that could be made to improve that care so women they're saying women are not coming back to the healthcare facility they are really um because of the public health messages they're staying at home more but again they're saying they need to really align that with of course you need to come for routine care and i think we've seen that here in our own setting haven't we women not yeah. attending to the uh, assessment unit you know and suddenly whenever lockdown lifted a lot more people went so just being able to see actually that's a global thing that's happening everywhere as well and what can be done to mitigate that because if women are not coming for routine care in settings where they're they're not even achieving 60 percent of four antenatal care visits that's going to have a significant impact on the pregnancy so great to get that li- live um, feedback back that then we can give to the ministry of health alongside working on our academic outputs and for that to be part of my PhD as well. So I think a lot of people are doing that, using this as an opportunistic time to mm-hmm. to ensure yeah. that we're, we're seeing that impact because it really is emerging, isn't it? Every week there's something new coming out again. So, um, and another thing, we, w- we were concerned at the start, would we get our sample size? Would we get people who wanted to be recruited into the study or would people, would we not get enough women coming up to the healthcare facility, for example, to do the respectful maternity care study? But we did manage to get all of our um, required sample size. And I think, again, that was because of the team we had who were there, who were able to give, you know, we had posters, we had relevant information, and we were able to say to people, this will not have an impact on you because we have these safety precautions in place. So Fantastic. Yeah, it's been a, a, a big learning curve, I have to say, but a real benefit for me during the journey has been linking in with other researchers, other people in the department and other people outside. Twitter is a great forum, I think, really, to to be able to discuss, OK, what's the best way to do things? Other researchers are going through exactly the same thing. So I find that really helpful because we were all trying to, to navigate and negotiate this together. I think there is something so true, whether it be Twitter or other forums through different universities or institutions people are part of, is just learning from each other or just having a space to ask the question, guys, how did you do this? Or, oh, that's, mm-hmm. that's a good idea. I never really thought of that. And I think it's so, so crucial as we move forward. And I guess that's really our mm-hmm. heart with doing this podcast, actually, to some degree, that actually we wanted to unite people within global maternal health community and learn from each other mm. and within different settings as well because yeah we none of us have all the answers 
or do we have the right answers either so I think there is so much learning that we can do and I think just what you were saying there about real-time information that opportunistic thinking to add in a few extra questions perhaps in your focus groups or your interviews that actually as you said we have been seeing Mm -hmm. so much stuff come out on a weekly basis Mm -hmm. uh, from research that's being done and has been set up rapidly and we're learning from it and I think especially thinking about yourselves doing implementation work that's Mm -hmm. so important Mm -hmm. isn't it that you can feed back to Mm -hmm. the ministry or to regional you know level facilities to say this is what the women are saying Mm -hmm. you know we don't need to wait for the completion of a three-year-long study Mm -hmm. before we're gonna try and make changes but actually no we can do this stuff now and as you say the the impact of women not coming is you know morbidity and mortality for both mom and baby mm-hmm. and in a in a high risk mm-hmm. setting where as you say antenatal care you know the uptake of it is not fantastic and the provision of it may also not exactly. be fantastic that we need to encourage these people and mm-hmm. you just you just see how important the public health messages are and we want that information to be accurate so I think that's a really fantastic to hear that you guys have just taken that opportunity and that it's come out with some really productive and helpful and useful results and hopefully that can make a tangible difference in feeding back to people at a senior level. Because my research was linked to the programme as well we had that time pressure and you know we we had the team in country and we need to you know ensure that we have the research done by a certain stage. I know for other PhD students they've had to stop their research altogether because it's not linked in with the programme. They're doing a lot of that um, data collection themselves so it has had a significant impact and I think um, some universities have extended PhD timelines by six months automatically for all students because they understand the impact that has had and I think because COVID is now an emerging you know disease then they're thinking okay in, for example in the School of Tropical Medicine a lot of the different parts of respiratory department um, they're doing all research on it so it's suddenly looking like okay this is now the priority but we need to continue to do research in our areas so our field of research is maternal health and it's important that we continue to do that so I think the fact that yes the school saw this was important they got the ethical approval through for it shows that actually there is that commitment to ensure yes we are you know looking at COVID of course but what other areas of research and that has to continue because we still want to continue to drive and push forward improvements in maternal care so I've been very fortunate in that way but I do know other uh, PhD students have suffered but there's a lot of support out there so as you say even having this discussion linking with other people online and realizing actually getting extensions having all those other support mechanisms will ensure that people will continue with the research because there's such value in it all whatever area you're in so just really a word of encouragement to say even with all of these challenges you do overcome them and it's just having good networks good people around who are able to support and help you you know Hannah and I um, have known each other the last couple of years and just really cheered each other on I've learned lots from her with regards to global maternal health in the world of research and I think that's so important um, having people around you isn't it who can inspire you who you can go to and say oh this is really rubbish actually <laughs> I'm not really doing very well or actually understands your disappointments as well and so it's been good to have you along for the journey Hannah yeah you need those champions and people just to encourage you because there are through the process as we all know there are those challenges okay how am I going to overcome this it just seems like day day by day or week by week there can be things but it's all a process as developing as a researcher as everybody will tell us 
but just to have champions and people around to say keep on going what you're doing is worth it is so important so just to encourage everybody just keep on going because you started the process for a reason and that passion is what will get you through it's been great having people like yourself amber just to say okay this is why we're doing it and having that community of people who understand as researchers so yeah very important final question then hannah so if there was one thing that you could say that you COVID has taught you regarding the approvals process and all sort of around what we've discussed today what would you say that is i was told this during my master's and it was get your ethical approval in early i didn't do it then i tried to do it this time i could have done it earlier so i would say as soon as you have got your application together as soon as you know what you're doing as soon as that's been reviewed get it in because the sooner you get it in the sooner you can get response to the comments and start the process so it's not like you have to submit it once and then another month do another application you will get that iterative responses every you know week by week to your comments so ensure you get your ethical approval in early Brill, that is good advice. So early ethical approval. I'll definitely be taking that forward when my time comes. <laughs> well, listen, Hannah, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been just fascinating to hear about the work that you're doing. And thank you for being honest about the, the trials and tribulations that you've been through during the last six months or so with your work. It sounds so exciting and I'm really looking forward to hearing and reading about the results of all the stuff that you guys have been working on in Togo. And again, just thanks so much for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, this will definitely be something that I go to, to be able to get that motivation and to see the experience of other researchers. So thanks a lot. So Tista, what did you make of all that then? Oh my goodness, she is fab. So many helpful and useful tips for early career researchers, such as getting your ethics through um, and finding champions. Um, but one thing that I think really struck me was her point about the need for all researchers to try and keep the momentum up with the work that they're already doing. As although COVID is very much in the forefront, we can't let the energy and enthusiasm wane for other very important agenda items in health. In our case, for global maternal and newborn health, progress is under more threat than ever from COVID-19, especially in often neglected areas such as stillbirth and abortion care. Um, so I totally agree with Hannah that there is such a need for us to press on with this work and maintain the momentum as best we can. And actually, we're quite lucky to have a few episodes towards the end of the series on this topic of how researchers have maintained their energy in these key areas during the pandemic. So hopefully you'll tune in for those later on. What were your thoughts, Amber? Yeah, I thought, as you said, Hannah was really fab. It was such a great time chatting with her. And I just really thought about the importance of using COVID opportunistically. And Hannah spoke about the adaptations that they had made in their projects to try and capture what was happening on the ground in Togo for women who are pregnant and the effect that that had on them. And consequently, she shared about feeding it back to the Ministry of Health and other healthcare providers. And I just really love that meaningful and applicable type of research that it is really mm. tangible and it really makes a difference in people's lives. And yeah, I think that was one thing that I was really encouraged to hear. Absolutely. 
And I think it's just a helpful reminder from Hannah that it's important to remember why we started out on this journey anyway and yeah. what it's all about. And for us, that's just trying to improve care for mums and babies worldwide. If you've been listening, perhaps you've got some thoughts or comments about something that Hannah or Amber or I have shared. So why not let us know on Twitter at Sanyu Sisters or Instagram at Sanyu Sisters Podcast just to keep that conversation going. And next time we have Tista chatting with our very own Andrew Weeks, who is Professor of International Maternal Health at the Sanyu Research Centre. And they're going to be talking about supervision and what changes COVID has brought to the world of supervision. So we can't wait for you to join us then. Until next time. Thank you.